If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. important is it for period dramas to accurately reflect the past? And what ethical concerns are raised by actors playing fictionalised versions of real people? These are just some of the issues raised by recent films and TV series, including Series 5 of The Crown, which is released in the UK today, the film The Lost King, which dramatises the discovery of the remains of Richard III beneath a Leicester car park, and the Netflix series Dharma, Monster, The Jeffrey Dharma Story, which portrays the grisly real-life murders of a serial killer in the United States in the 1970s and 80s. To get their take on all of this, Matt Elton spoke to the historians Nicola Tallis and Fern Riddell about the tricky balance between history and drama. The first voice you'll hear after Matt is Fern. I wanted to kick off by talking about the extent to which you think it's important that historical dramas accurately reflect events and people they depict. And why do you think it's been such a big source of conversation over the past few months? Well, I I think probably having worked as a consultant in drama, I feel very strongly about this. And that is that we have to have historical, historical accuracy. It's one of the most important parts when you're talking about something that is recreating a world, an ancestor or an event from the past. If you're recreating a total fantasy world, then of course, accuracy is completely in the eye of the beholder, in the eye of the team that are making it. But it certainly has a place in historical drama in the texture of a show rather than something that has to be guided to like the perfect recreation of a single moment in time. Yeah I mean I think I I 
I basically agree with what Fern's saying, but I think that also it does very much depend on what it purports to be. So if you are trying to recreate events and people who were real, then I think that there is a a higher expectancy to be able to recreate those people and personalities and the events that they lived through in an accurate way. Um, Whereas I think that if it's something completely fictional, then you obviously have got a lot more artistic license and a lot more freedom to be able to take those fictitious licenses and to and to dramatize the events a, a bit more so for example one of the ones one of the dramas that I really really like is uh, BBC's Harlots I think that that's a brilliant series and although it is of course based on a non-fiction book and the Covent Garden Ladies it's a completely fictional set of, of characters and the storylines that those characters are faced with are events, you know, and, and the scenarios that women in that time perhaps would have been confronted with. But I love the way that um, I think that's a really good example of, of a historical drama that is kind of loosely historically accurate, but also um, you know, isn't actually based on on true people, and so doesn't have the same responsibility to the audience as something something else that is based on on real people. That's really interesting because one of the flashpoints, one of the sort of major examples we'll talk about is obviously The Crown, which has had a huge amount of criticism and commentary and all kinds of reactions to it. Do you think that there is something in The Crown in terms of its subject matter that means it's most likely to attract this kind of debate? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the royal family are a source of fascination and there is a feeling of public ownership over them. There is also this feeling of we kind of feel like we know them in many ways, even though they're distant figures, we do feel like we know them and like we have a right to to know what goes on behind closed doors and and so on. And I think that even though The Crown presents itself as historical drama that is loosely based on historical events, um, there is still a huge responsibility in terms of um, portraying the characters in a way that that people can identify with in terms of of how we know those people today. Um, And I know, you know, for example, the the upcoming series, Series 5, has received a lot of criticism over its portrayal of now King Charles and a completely fictitious scene whereby he plans to overthrow his mother, the Queen. And in in my mind, I mean, that is just the most ridiculous piece of artistic license. And I don't understand it at all. Why? Why? I don't get that. Um, I think, generally speaking, anything anything that purports to be historical drama that helps to engage the audience and encourages them to find out more is a good thing. But you wouldn't have to do too much digging to find out that, as far as we know anyway, King Charles had never plotted to overthrow his mother and force her to abdicate. It's just silliness. But I think this is one of the moments where we've really kind of lost touch. And I think both as as commentators, as creatives, as people involved in these worlds of, of the making of shows like this, 
we have a tendency to to treat our audiences as if they're stupid. And I think a lot of the discussion today treats audiences as if they're stupid because we're talking about drama here. It is fiction. It is a complete fiction, even when it is dealing with real people and people that we feel connected to or that may be living today. Dramatizations will always be a fantasy. It will always be made up. There will always be kind of artistic and creative license taken. And if you want to learn about something, watch a history documentary. If you want to be captivated by a world and excited by a world, watch a drama. And I think there's this real kind of lapse of cultural understanding of accepting or seeing dramas as factual. And I don't know if this has become because we've had so much drama recon in history documentaries, and that's kind of helped our culture to blur the lines and forget what, and and not be able to understand what is real and what is fake anymore. But when The Crown, something like The Crown comes under fire, I do kind of, I do struggle to understand the outrage in totality, because one of the things it does really well is it draws in rumour, it draws in gossip, it draws in things that were talked about at the time but never substantiated and recreates that. And in many ways, that is kind of truthful, but it's also sticking to the fantasy world that they are making. It isn't real. And, you know, there's a reason why we look at Shakespeare's historical plays in English We study them under English language, we study them under drama, we do not study them in history, and we need to understand our historical dramas are the same. They are fantasies at the end of the day. So it sounds like we're saying because these dramas tend to flatten almost the historical truth, but also the commentary of the time, and don't make it clear where the boundary falls between those two, it's almost like we're presenting these things to an audience, but not giving them enough information or the notes in order to make sense of that distinction. Is is that right? But it's a drama. Why should we have to? Like, you, If you're sitting down to watch a show and it's a drama, you should understand from the start, it's going to be, even if it's using real people, even if it's using real life, it is going to be a fiction. No one was sitting there with a recorder recording every word, as much as historians like us wish that they would so that we could say, yes, that's absolutely accurate. That's true. I think I think one of the things that's exciting is when... People who make drama, producers, writers, showrunners, are in love with the worlds that they are making and in love with accuracy. Because when you're working on a show like that, then as a historian, you get those moments where real history comes to life. So on River Street, which is one of the shows that I was the consultant on and my absolute favourite for, for life, there were moments where I would see language and exact moments recreated perfectly as snapshots from time, but kind of sewn into the drama of the stories that we were telling. And it was such a beautiful thing to me to see those moments. So when you see something like The Crown that recreates perhaps a perfect story or a perfect quote from an interview someone gave, it can give people this real moment of, oh, that's accurate, that's truth, that's real. But you also have to understand that it's interwoven in amongst the fiction. And if you want to know more, you have to go and look at the accurate history. You cannot take the drama as truth. I agree. And I think um, just to allude to what Fern said earlier, audiences are not stupid 
generally speaking, they have the intelligence to be able to accept drama for exactly what it is. And if they are enthusiastic and keen enough, they will go away and, and look things up afterwards. You know, I remember doing that myself with The Crown when I first watched it and thinking, oh, that's really interesting. Is that true? Is that Did that happen? And I think that that is one of the greatest strengths and greatest joys of historical drama also is to be able to encapsulate the viewer and to be able to draw them into that story in the way that Fern was saying and encourage them to go and find out more about it. It's, I suppose, in some ways we could describe it as a jumping off point. And if it encourages people to find out the facts then I think that that can only be a good thing, really. I think, you know, what we're talking about here is the ethics of drama making. When you have a show or a showrunner and a cast and a writer who are absolutely committed to recreating truth or as much as they can, understanding that it's also fantasy, then you do have something that can be really, really captivating. What is dangerous, and I think a lot it can be really dangerous about the discussions we're having now, is when dramas don't have that care and don't have that accuracy and aren't interested in re- in recreating anything truthfully. And I, I don't know how you feel about this, Nicola, but the thing I get really cross about is costume. Like when you see, when you sit down to watch a historical drama that um, will not have kind of the massive BBC budget, but there's people who just want to make stuff and they're just excited. And they've gone, when should we set it? Oh, 1700s. And it's like someone in a, you know, a Dorothy Perkins blouse walking in the back shot with a bit of ruffle. That, that for me is when I do tend to get really cross because the recreation of the fantasy, that dressing from costume to set to how someone stands to what they're holding, that's what I care about in in making something truthful. What someone says and how and the stories that they're telling, I don't tend to get as cross about because so much throughout history is just repeating cycles. You know, you're going to fall in love in every century. Someone's dad is going to say, no, you can't marry that person. Someone's mum is going to say, why haven't you gone off and lived the life I wish I had? You know, it's all of those, all of those repeating cycles we see throughout history. It's just different set dressing. So yeah, for me, the things I get really cross about are the details when we recreate things. I think I'm I'm the same to a degree, but not so much with costumes. <laughs> Controversially, I don't <laughs> mind too. <laughs> I don't mind too much. Um, people are going to think I'm crazy for saying this, but I don't mind too much if you can. I don't know if if you can see a, a bit of a zip, or maybe a zip's a step too far. But I'm trying to think of something else. But. <laughs> I don't mind that too much, but I do think, I do think I feel that way more about the settings and the backgrounds that are are being used. And I feel that those ought to be as accurate or as, as truthful as they possibly can be. Interestingly, something that I've learned about Bridgerton and that I absolutely loved was the fact that they had their own tiara maker, which I thought was brilliant. And I, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine going for an interview for that job? I would love that job, the tiara maker for Bridgerton. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, even though that series isn't historically accurate as such, because it's based on a series of novels. I love the fact that in some ways they were still trying to be 
historically accurate in terms of um, the production of of the props and the costumes. So, um, so yeah, I think I don't mind too much if if there's a ribbon out of place, but the backdrops I think are, are really important. I think Bridgerton is an incredible example and, and Nicola's so right to bring bring it up because one of the things that they've done so well there, I mean, a lot is, is said about its historical accuracy. I think its historical accuracy is fantastic because it has one of the best historical advisors on it, Hannah Grieg, who's absolute tour de force in historical consulting in this country. And it looks beautiful. It tells amazing stories, which, yes, are fictional. But the world that it's making takes you in in a real, in a very real sense into the world of the 18th, 19th centuries, which is incredibly diverse, was caring about fashion, was full of radical people, try, and was full of gossip. So kind of all of those tentative threads that, as historians, we spend our time piecing together and wishing people knew about. You watch a show like Bridgerton and you are going to get such a better sudden kind of overwhelm of what that moment in time was like than if you sit down and you watch a very kind of, well, anything set in that period from 20 years ago, which is not going to show you the same kind of exciting narratives which were absolutely happening in that time. Yeah, and I do also feel that pe- people are perhaps a bit more forgiving with Bridgerton in some ways, just in the respects that, you know, it is complete fiction. Yes, there's a queen, Queen Charlotte, but aside from that, really, most of the the, the plot is, is completely fictional. The characters are completely fictional. And I think that that allows the, the producers to take a lot more... Uh, yeah, a lot more liberties, more liberties with it. But as Fern said, I think that they do it in a historical way, if that makes sense, in in terms of the detail that they put into the settings, the costumes, the um, the mannerisms and the etiquette. That's also done really beautifully. And it does succeed so well in drawing the audience into the world of an 18th century socialite and it does so beautifully this is so interesting because it sounds like what we're saying is that it's as important to accurately recreate the world and the milieu i suppose as it is to have storylines that are beat for beat or word for word accurate to what we think might have happened is is that a fair summation yeah, I would as well. And I think that it's important for viewers to be able to learn something about the world in which these people lived and to give you to give them an idea of what life was like at that time. And I think that that's something that that can sometimes be overlooked in in history in general and you know there is now more of an interest and um, a, a more of a shift in looking at the way in which people live their lives, looking at the social structure, life below stairs, all of those sorts of things. And I think that that's something that historical drama, generally speaking, does really well. And it does provide the audience with a nice snapshot that transports them and takes them to that time. And I think that that is... It's very rare to be able to get that from from books and from documents. And that's where historical drama is extremely powerful. How difficult is it for historical dramas to balance excitement and drama with truth and accuracy? 
that depends on your show and on your showrunner and who. So your showrunner is the person in charge and they will most likely be the lead writer as well. They will have decided a lot of the character arcs. They will know where that show is going and the stories that they want to tell. And if that person cares about the historical world and if that person is interested in accuracy, then your show is going to be fantastic. If they aren't, then it's a very difficult time for everyone everyone involved in that process and and it will not be well received because I think one of the things that is interesting about shows now and shows and audiences today is they have a love of accuracy and maybe that's where the problems around things like the crown come from is that audiences want to see a realistic world they want to be swept into that. They don't want to see kind of something that jars or something that clashes or, you know, the coffee cup on the side of the desk in shot that shouldn't be there because they're actually in Westeros and things like, you know, things like that. They want to see, they want to believe that they are being taken into a fantasy world. And as long as historical dramas are doing that, what people say and the stories they're telling are kind of, Secondary, because that's the imagination part, but you have to make it look and feel as if it is another world or another time. Otherwise, your audience isn't going to come with you on that journey. One of the other sides of this discussion is about the way in which the historical profession and archaeologists and historians are portrayed in films. So this has come up a lot recently with The Lost King, which is the film, the Steve Coogan film about the the quest to find Richard III's remains and about some of his life story. Do you think that historians and archaeologists generally are portrayed sympathetically or accurately in films and dramas? Definitely not accurately. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I love that. So when the film was coming out, there was this moment of kind of going, oh, this should be great fun. I wonder if they'll understand what that's like from a historian's academic point of view, or if they will just go with what is the best drama. And they've gone with what is the best drama. So it feels to me, having lived through through that as kind of as a, someone who watched it and was interested by it, and as a historian, it feels completely, you know, the moment the trailers came out, I was just like, well, this isn't true. None of this is, this feels like complete, completely made up. But I think I think that's an issue with how historians are perceived by the public and by anyone who's not in our profession. And that's a real issue. That is a real issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it definitely is. And I think, uh, so I watched I watched The Lost King a couple of weeks ago. It is the most crackers film ever. <laughs> in, in the nicest possible way. It's a real feel-good film. <laughs> but I remember there are b- bits of it that are a bit bonkers. And yeah. <laughs> but when you move away from that, I think what what I think was not right was the way in which the female academics in particular, the female archaeologists, I mean, they just weren't there. They were completely removed from the storyline. And whether it's drama or not, I personally had an issue with that. I didn't think that that was right. And I also did feel that the the archaeologists were misrepresented and, and given an, an unfair kind of treatment in that really and it's that that one that one is is very difficult because I think also when you're dealing with events that 
are recent and where the protagonists are still very much alive, are still very much present, you know, then then it's then it's a completely different ball game than when you're filming something like, yeah, like Bridgerton where everyone in the 18th century is dead so they can't complain um so <laughs> i think that it's very very difficult generally when you're trying to balance that that fine line really between historical drama and, and telling a good story and doing that with people who still have a voice and still have the ability and the power to use that voice. And um, yeah, I'm not quite sure. I I don't think that in the case of The Lost King that they got that right and that they, I don't think that they did justice to the people who were very much involved in that story by any means, which, which was a real shame. So there are increasing amounts of issues and complications in terms of morality with depicting people who are still alive or for whom the history is more recent. Is, is, is that right? Yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely think so. I think it's, I think it is a real, a real issue, to be honest. And, you know, this is one of the, one of the criticisms of the forthcoming series of The Crown also, to go back to The Crown and the fact that it depicts the death of, of Princess Diana and how William and Harry may feel about that. And it's very difficult, isn't it? Because standing on the sidelines is one thing. But if you are involved in that storyline, I can imagine, or sorry, not that storyline, but if you are involved and have a personal involvement in that story, it suddenly becomes very, very emotive. And Um, you're dealing with all sorts of different ethical and moral issues there. And I don't know, I think, I think it's a very difficult line to tread because on the one hand, well, just because some of the people involved in that storyline are still alive, does that mean that that story shouldn't be told or, you know, should it be left alone? It's difficult. And I'm, I'm not quite sure where I I stand on this. I kind of see both sides of of the argument and it's without doubt a very uncomfortable subject. And one that, um, one that is always going to be extremely controversial. I think we, uh, I agree with everything that Nicola is saying. And I think one of the issues that we have, again, this is absolutely about ethics and morality when it comes to making drama. When you look at something like the Dharma series, where you have a creator and a showrunner who says, you know, I, I reached out to 20 victims' families and none of them got in contact and they went ahead and made the show anyway. That's one of those moments where you really have to go, okay, there, was, there should have been safeguarding there. There should have been a conversation at the network there that said this is an incredibly traumatising, traumatic, horrific story. Is this the right thing to do? What what are we? Who are we serving here? Because we certainly aren't serving the vic- the people who have living memories of those who were lost. And I think the job of drama in those situations, there are absolutely moments where where drama has recreated recent events from tragic events from the past in very careful, very delicate and and sensitive ways. 
And that should be the only thing that guides people who want to make drama about recent events. If you aren't doing that, if it's clear that the people directly involved do not want it made, do not agree with your telling, do not show how how it's going to happen, then I think creatives need to understand that the backlash to those situations is entirely justified. And and that perhaps that was not the right decision for them to have made. It was not the right show for them to have made because they haven't understood how people have felt about it. And you could make that argument for the Crown now that we are getting into the most recent events and the most recent history. There certainly is a moment where I I felt, oh God, they are getting very close to home. You know, this is, I, I think many of us will remember watching William and Harry walk behind the coffin. It was absolutely horrific to see those those young boys have to do that publicly on a public stage. And whilst we have a lot of, a lot of people feel that the monarchy is something that they own, these are also people who have never had any privacy to their grief. It's always had to be performed publicly for the benefit of a country. And now to see that happen again in drama with so many people directly involved living as young people, not as people in their 70s going, oh, well, you know, time has time has allowed me to heal those wounds. Perhaps it won't hurt as much. These are very recent events. And it is it is one of those moments where it does kind of feel like perhaps the Netflix gravy train should have gone, you know what, we'll stop in the 70s. 70s is far enough. That's Otherwise, it's a bit too close to home. I was listening to this podcast, funnily enough, only this morning with Prince Harry whilst I was at the gym. And and you think he talks about very, very openly and very candidly about the impact that his mother's death had on his mental health, continues to have on his mental health. And when you have got somebody who is talking about the grief that they are continuing to suffer in such a way. And as Fern said, you know, the family, they've been forced to go through this very publicly. Then is it right to, to dramatise that for, for people to watch? I don't know. I don't, I don't think it is really. I think I think Fern's right. I think a cutoff line somewhere somewhere prior to, um, to the events of 1997 would most definitely have been morally the correct thing to do. And and so I'm not 100% surprised at all that the, the Crown is receiving so much backlash because these boys or men, sorry, as they are now and their families are now going to be forced to relive these events that they're already having to deal with on a daily basis. Um, so no, I, I think that that's... I think it's it's very unfair and it's not you know the Diana issue for example is never going to go away it never has gone away it has always it has consistently popped up and and you know there Diana's appeared in films in documentaries in all sorts of things and I feel like what has the crown got to add to any of that and Probably, I would say the answer is, is is nothing. Nothing that we don't already know or that hasn't been done before. I don't know if this is possibly because of where we come from as historians, but I always feel 
that our duty of care, whether we're writing, whether we're researching, whether we're talking, or if we're involved in a drama, the duty of care has to come first to the living descendants of the subjects that we're talking about. And I think that kind of guides how we react to shows as well and and why backlashes can be so strong, especially from the historical community. And I think we see that in moments where it's not just a a huge show like The Crown, but I remember there was um, a debate a number of years ago between leading feminists who wanted to do something for um, the graves of one of the Ripper victims. And the family who they were looking at said very clearly, we don't want this. We don't like we don't we don't want this. And there was a feeling that was talked about as well, we don't care because they belong to everyone now. You know, these memories belong to everyone. And I do think I think that's a moment where morally we need to do better because as much as history is everyone's, the people in it, the ancestors or the living descendants who are left, it's theirs first. And then we get to play with it as creatives, as writers, as historians, we get to show our take on it. But it has to come with an understanding that either you have the family's permission or if you're going against them, you've got to be bloody sure you've got a strong enough case. And that that is where I think The Crown kind of falls down for me. Now where we're going with it. Still to come on the History Extra podcast... It was one of the best moments I have ever had as a historian because I can't remember what our viewing figures were, but however many millions or a couple of millions it was, I reached more people in that single night with my research than I would ever have taught in my entire career as an academic. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. This Jeffrey Dahmer series, which is called Dahmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, um, is, I think, one example of a genre of sort of true crime 
stories that have been increasingly popular, I think, since the pandemic, maybe a bit before that. There was some debate here in the office about whether these true crime things are actually history, whether we should be including them in a discussion about history. Do you think that tells us something about the way in which they've been put in their own genre? Do you think it's right to see them as history? Of course it's right to see them as history. I'm sorry, I've got questions for the office now, because how is it not history? (laughs) Of course it's history. And I think if anyone's trying to kind of skive off true crime as its own separate thing, as a special thing, you cannot do that without talking about history. Because police procedure is the same, is similar to how historians investigate the past. I say to everyone I can, you have to understand historians are private investigators. That's what we do. That's what we're doing all the time. We're researching, we're piecing together lives. True crime, So true crime or crime research and historians and investigation, we all live in the same little world. We're all fill, using the same skill set. So you can't separate true crime from history, if it, especially if it's something in the past, because it's all connected. You can't talk about Jeffrey Dahmer without looking at historical serial killers in the past. How do they operate? Why are they operating in this way? How did people react then? Was there the same horror? Of course there was. We've always found serial killers terrifying and been drawn to the stories because they are such aberrations. So I realised I got into a real rant and I was just about, just about to start, <laughs> just trying to rein it back in. It's completely fine. <laughs> well, no, it's because, so I, I absolutely love true crime and I love history and I love horror. And when, you're, when you love all of those things and you're living in the world we're living in now, which is far more sensitive and far more geared towards the ethics and the morality of looking at these stories and how we make those choices, there are times where it can feel quite, quite tough. And you have to sort of sit there going, why do I like this? Or should we really, like, how do we, how are we supposed to tell these stories sensitively? And I think, I think it's, questions we have to ask ourselves. I think throughout history, people have always been drawn to horror and and horrific moments because you either don't want it to happen to you or you want to understand why it happened or you're just kind of rubbernecking because that's a very human thing as well. And it it never, it never stops. Rant over. (laughs) To draw together some of the themes we talked about in this fantastic conversation, thank you so much. Do you think that historical dramas, opportunities to interest more people in history, do they outweigh the potential problems we've talked about in terms of morality and accuracy and the other issues we've discussed? I No, I don't think they outweigh. I think nothing should outweigh morality and nothing should outweigh historical accuracy. That's just my, that's just my instant gut reaction. But, but it's interesting, though, and, and Nicola, will, we, I, I promise to not well, to open this up in a minute, um, but it's interesting because we've talked about some of the, the, that you don't think that we need to beat for beat or word for word recreate historical accuracy in that sense, but you do think, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that a wider accuracy is important. Yeah, but that's that's where it comes back to the window dressing. So accuracy is incredibly important in bringing someone into a world. So people being interested, they are never going to be interested. They are never going to sit on their phone second screening on Wikipedia if you've got two people in suits saying words that supposedly come from the Queen and Prince William on a green screen, right? 
let's just let's if we strip it out for a second and we say here is here's something that's going to be a historical drama with absolutely no historical window dressing whatsoever. People aren't going to be sitting there going, oh, I really want to know what's happening. I really want to know why. They want to do that. They get excited because of how a show looks, because of what people are wearing, because of then what they're saying and then what they're doing. But the accuracy for me is in that window dressing. And that should absolutely be the thing that leads everyone in. Yeah, I think Fern's made a really good point there. And I think the window dressing is hugely, hugely important. I think in terms of ethics, in terms of when we are trying to represent people and events in recent memory, then yeah, morality and ethics always has to come first. And I do think that, yes, unless there is a very, very good reason for trying to depict that, then it should be left well alone and we should steer clear of that. Equally, I think that there is a huge there is a huge responsibility in terms of giving a voice to people in the past, you know, people who are dead in centuries gone by in terms of historical drama, um, in terms of making their voices heard. And we do have a responsibility to try and do that as accurately as possible, you know, within the bounds, sorry, boundaries of, of historical drama, allowing for, you know, the fact that we don't have all of the answers and, Therefore, it is okay in some instances to, to speculate, um, to, to make up something fictitious if we think that that works. And I think that the costumes, the backdrop, the window dressing are really important parts of that. And as Fern said, nobody really wants to, to sit back and, and watch a conversation without all of that. You know, it is all of those things that make up the historical drama and it's all of those things that engage the audience and that encourage them to find out more about it as a result of of seeing all of that. I, I think, you know, accurate history, and that doesn't mean recreating something word for word, that just means using good historical consultancy, using good historical research to make your shows, can be absolutely astounding to people and far more challenging than anything that you might invent. I mean, in in Ripper Street in season three, we had uh, a woman in the East End, a a female doctor, selling birth control to her clients. And it absolutely blew our audience's mind. And we had lots of people coming going, this would never have happened. A, it's a woman. B, she's a doctor. And C, it's birth control. And it's 1890s and no one would ever have done this. And I got to sit on Twitter for the entire night that episode was going out going, actually, this is my PhD research. <laughs> actually, this is these are the real stories that we use to base that on. Actually, here's the fact. Here's the truth. And it was mind-blowing. It was one of the best moments I have ever had as a historian because I can't remember what our viewing figures were, but however many millions or a couple of millions it was, I reached more people in that single night with my research than I would ever have taught in my entire career as an academic. And it blew their minds. So history and accurate historical drama, drama that uses history in a really good way, a really exciting way, absolutely draws people in and we should be so proud of that and so excited for it whilst at the same time understanding what artistic license is allowing creatives to have that chance to really make amazing worlds and not feeling that they have that people sitting down to watch a show 
are going to be believing that every word in every moment they see, if it's about real people, is true. We have talked about some heavy old issues in the past hour or so, so thank you so much. I wanted to end with something a bit lighter and to see if there are any historical dramas or films or series that you'd like to champion or that you'd like to highlight who navigate the difficult terrain we've talked about particularly well or that you think don't get the attention they might otherwise deserve. Well, no, I think I think for me, this is so this is this kind of blows everything that I've been saying out of the water, but that's because I can just do it as a fan. So I absolutely love anything that is a dramatization of the three musketeers. I absolutely love it. I will swords, flashy flashy shirts, bit of leather, horse riding, complex interpersonal relationships, love, horror. Cardinal Richelieu, all of it. I'm obsessed by it. And I will, and I will sit down and watch whatever that is. Do I care about historical accuracies in accuracy in that moment? No, because I don't have a clue if it's true, because it's not my period. But it's about making that fantasy world. And it's about making that kind of, that world that takes us into a different time and a different place. And I think for everything that we've talked about, that should be up there on top of our, our list amongst ethics, amongst morality, amongst what we owe the people in the past, is that when you're making a historical drama, you should be having fun and your audience should be having fun. So Three Musketeers for me every time. Fern's right as well, actually, because when you can just sit back and accept historical drama for what it is, it is the best thing ever. And it's so much easier to do that when it's not your period, because (laughs) yeah, you're you're so right. You don't care about the costumes or the events or how people are depicted. You just enjoy it. And that's one of the great things. And there are two that I really, really love. And one is Outlander. I'm completely obsessed with Outlander. I think it's amazing. And not just because of Jamie Fraser, although he's very nice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I mean, let's face it, we all know that traveling through time is an impossibility, but it doesn't make it any less attractive and any less addictive. It's amazing. It's brilliant. And it gives you kind of a snapshot of two different times. And it does really do, I think, what Fern's talking about, which is encapsulates this idea of bringing you into this whole fantasy world where you can just let your imagination run wild, particularly where Jamie Fraser is concerned. And the other one that I really, really love is Gentleman Jack. And again, the reason that I love Gentleman Jack is because it's telling the story of someone who I would never, ever have known about otherwise. And, you know, although a lot of the storylines are completely fictitious, it is based on a real person and real diaries um, and letters that she wrote um, and Lister wrote. And that is something that I think is incredibly powerful and someone who didn't conform to the norms of society. And I think that we should, in historical drama, be telling more stories like that because they are so important and they're also endlessly fascinating and interesting. And for me, as a consumer of historical drama, that is something that I think is priceless and that I would sit and watch time and time again. Nicola, Fern, thank you both so, so much for your time. Matt Elton was speaking to Nicola Tallis and Fern Riddell. Nicola's latest book is All the Queen's Jewels, Power, Majesty and Display, which is published by Routledge. 
And Fern's most recent book is Sex, Lessons from History, which is published by Hodder and Stoughton. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Jack Bateman.